the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we'll celebrate this coming Lord's Day, Jesus first appears in a manger. Today, at the end of Luke, we see him appearing after his resurrection. And that's what we're focusing on today. Join us. Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner is next. A great Christian from a couple of centuries ago said that the resurrection of Jesus was the Father's amen to the Son's it is finished. And indeed, it is. Without that resurrection, the cross means nothing. And the birth that we celebrate this Lord's Day means nothing. You see, what we're focusing on today is paramount to us as believers in Christ. The resurrection and appearance proof of this resurrection is on the table for discussion. Join us here in Luke 24 as we continue our survey of Luke here on this Christmas week. With today's broadcast of Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered it, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now that's... is not Luke quoting someone else. That is Luke making that statement. Luke is describing the situation. And what is Luke calling Jesus? He's calling him the Lord Jesus, the Kyrios, the highest sovereign and king in the universe, and everyone is accountable to him. Look at Luke chapter 24, verse 33. And they arose that hour, very hour, and turned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen. So you see, there is this emphasis in the last chapter of Luke on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's no longer humiliated. He is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords and in control of all of life before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. He takes over the role of host in this man's house because he has authority and sovereignty to do so. Now he gives thanks to God for the food. And then he says, then it says, the disciples' eyes were opened. That is, someone opened them. They didn't open their own eyes. Christ opened the eyes of these two men who had been, whom he had been teaching for the last several hours so they could understand who he really is. Now, can you imagine? I mean, they've been enthralled over the past three hours as Jesus clarified things in the Bible, and now he's the host of this meal. And spiritually, their eyes are opened, and they see him by faith. They see him for whom he really is for the very first time. Can you imagine the thrill and the excitement? And then he vanished. What was it all about? 
what Jesus was doing in that house in Emmaus that made, him, made them recognize who he was. Well, as he broke the bread, he could have revealed the nail prints in his hands. He could have revealed scars on his forehead from the crown of thorns. Or they could have realized who he was by the intimate way he spoke to God in his prayer. No one ever prayed like this man prayed. Or it could have been because of the majesty of his countenance and of his person. But the Bible simply says that they recognized who he was because their eyes were opened. They didn't open them themselves. They were opened by God supernaturally. The eyes of their mind and their faith. They saw him with their physical eyes, but they didn't really understand who he was. There were things keeping them from seeing him, but then God removed the impediments, and they were able to see and understand who Jesus is. In Ephesians 1, 16 through 19, Paul prays and he says, I do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation through the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you, might, you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of His glorious inheritance is in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. So here you have Paul explaining that sentence and their eyes were opened he's explaining that what happened was that the spirit of God enlightened their minds supernaturally gave them the gift of faith enabled them to see things and understand things and believe things they could never see and understand and believe before in their own power and it was the result of the exertion of the supernatural power of God into their lives. That's called effectual calling. Our shorter catechism says this about effectual calling. An effectual calling of God's spirits convicts us of our sin and misery and enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renews our wills that we might accept Him as He has offered to us in the gospel. So how does the Holy Spirit help someone understand who Jesus is? Because without the Holy Spirit, beloved, you never will. He enlightens the mind to whom the Lord Jesus Christ is. So now that sinner, convicted of his sins, wants Christ more than anything else in the world. Look now at verse 32. And they said to one another. Now, they've been eating and their eyes are opened. They recognized this was the Son of God incarnate and their dear friend Jesus, and he vanishes. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? They started thinking back. No wonder we felt the way we felt. No wonder our hearts burned within us as the Lord Jesus Christ was opening the scriptures to us on the road to Emmaus. And their hope began to burn brightly again. And, they, and it became revived. Now let me ask you a question. What made their hearts burn? Have you ever experienced a burning heart? Could you sympathize with them and say, oh yeah, I've known how that feels. Can you say with these disciples, oh yeah, I have a burning heart. 
I have a heart burning and I know what it is. And what is it? Well, the best way to understand what it is is to understand when it took place. They said, did our hearts not burn within us as Jesus explained the scriptures to us? So what they were saying was, is that a burning heart is satisfied and stimulated with the word of God. I can just hear them talking. Boy, he clarified everything. He straightened us out. He made made sense of things I have always been wondering about. Can you imagine the impact and their hearts burning within them because of their love for the truth? Their hope was renewed. Their depression was ended, not by pills, not by wishful thinking, but by careful concentration on the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom Christ himself speaks to their hearts. And that is what makes the heart of a Christian burn. Look at verses 33 through 35. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. So what happened now? Christ has vanished. They're reflecting on what had taken place over the last few hours. Their hearts are burning within them. And they say, we've got to tell someone. So they get up immediately and they run back the seven miles they had just walked to get back to Jerusalem to tell the apostles and the disciples that they had seen the risen Christ. So they found the apostles and those gathered with them in the house in Jerusalem on the evening of the resurrection Sunday. And they told them that Jesus had arisen from the dead and that he had walked with them and eaten with them and that he had opened their eyes to see who he really was. And what happens next? What do they say? Verse 35. They begin to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread and the whole event of explaining the scriptures to them. By the way, the phrase explaining the scriptures to them is where we get the word exegete. That Christ was exegeting scripture. That is the only way to preach, beloved. And that's the only way to read the Bible. If one is not exegeting scripture, he's not going to understand it. Exegesis is made up of two Greek words meaning to lead out. As over against eisegesis, which means to lead in. So someone is committing eisegesis when he reads into the Bible what he wants it to say. A person is committing exegesis when he reads out of the Bible what the Bible says, allowing the Bible to shape his understanding of all things. Now that's the only way to preach. A preacher's responsibility, said Robert L. Dabney, is to explain the words of the Bible. And that is the only way to read the Bible, is to take a text from Scripture and make sure you understand it in all of the words in the text, make sure how they relate to each other, what the historical context is, how the Old Testament and the themes of Scripture help inform that text, and how they point to the Lord Jesus Christ, end quote. That is what Jesus did. If you just read the Bible to get your love verse for the day, Or you read your Bible in some kind of devotional way, which is important. 
but you're just hoping something will hit you while you're reading it, then God will not speak to you while you're reading it, and you will never understand it. You must exegete it. Read the Bible the way Jesus read the Bible. He led out of the Bible what it says by making sure the apostles and the disciples understood every single word. How those words related to one another, how Old Testament influenced it, how the words pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, and what our response should be. Now let's draw some lessons from this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus at Emmaus. Look at verses 17 and then 25. Verse 17 says, they stood still looking depressed. Verse 25 says, Jesus rebuked them. Oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe everything that the prophets have spoken. What can we learn from these two verses? Well, let me quote to you from William Hendrickson, who is a great commentator of the New Testament. Listen, he said, these men missed the joy of salvation. Because they failed to pay attention and to believe the word of God in its entirety. Those who neglect the study of God's word do not realize how much they miss. No wonder these men looked gloom, end quote. In other words, here you have these two men with dejected looks on their faces and deep sadness in their hearts. No joy of salvation. And it is because they didn't pay attention. They didn't pay attention to the prophets. They didn't pay attention to John the Baptist. They didn't pay attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because they did not pay attention, they were ready to throw in the towel and live in disbelief. So my loving counsel to you is, pay attention. When you read the Bible, pay attention. When you hear the Bible preach, pay attention. Don't let your mind wander. Make sure you're not committing eisegesis, but pray that God would open His Word to your heart and open your heart to the Word of God, that you might behold wonderful things out of it. And don't neglect the study of God's Word. And these disciples on the road to Emmaus, they had a dejected and sad look because they were neglecting the Word of God. Now, look at verses 27 and 32. Verse 27 says, he interpreted or explained to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us in the way, while he was opening the scriptures to us? Hendrickson again said, only when we see how all the scriptures are centered on Christ, will we be able to understand the Bible, unquote. Now that's such a simple little statement. But I, for one, believe it's true. I believe the Bible is a closed book to so many people because they don't know that when they read the Bible, they are to try and see what it teaches them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's Genesis or Proverbs or Nahum or Matthew or Romans or Revelation. When you read Scripture, focus on Christ. Look at verse 33. When they ran back to Jerusalem... They found the eleven and the other disciples gathered on Resurrection Sunday evening. Now, I'm not being facetious when I say that churches have been doing this ever since. You see, that was the first Sunday evening service. The Sunday evening of the resurrection, the apostles and the disciples met together. 
And the disciples from Emmaus knew just where they were to be found. You see, this wasn't some kind of secret little meeting. This is where the church was gathered together on the day of Christ's resurrection. And Christ appeared in their midst. And he ministered to them. There's the model. There's the paradigm for the Christian church ever since. Whenever the church on the Lord's Day meets, they model this first meeting of gathering together, encouraging each other in the Word of God. And whenever that takes place, Christ is in their midst. He is here today. Listen to what Matthew Henry says about this. Those who have experienced the pleasure and profit of communion with Christ and His Word can but covet more of His company, end quote. In other words, once you have tasted the sweetness of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit has enlightened your mind to understand it, you've got to have more. You never get enough. For 2,000 years, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ have been gathering on the Lord's Day to hear the Word of God preached and to encourage each other. And when they do, Christ is there. If you can say, beloved, that you don't need to sit under the preaching of God's Word Sunday after Sunday, you have a very low view of preaching and the teaching of Jesus Christ. And yet God uses preaching to encourage and strengthen and to motivate us to obedience and to increase our understanding so that we are equipped for the building of His kingdom. Now here's the most obvious thing from our text. Before anyone can believe in Christ or the Bible, the risen Christ must operate on his mind and heart. He has direct access to our spirits, and he can directly influence them. So before we can know who Christ is and love him and believe in him and understand the Scriptures, Christ must open the Scriptures to us, and then he must open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts and soul to him. And that is what we should pray every time we come to church, every time we read the Bible, every time we meditate on the Bible. Lord, open the Scriptures to my heart and open my heart to the Scriptures. And when you pray that and Christ ministers to you, you will have a burning heart. If you are a believer and you love the truth and you love Christ, then your heart will burn every time you hear the exegesis of the Word of God. And so I ask you today, have you ever had a burning heart? Yes, you might say, I did, but I don't now. My heart no longer burns within me when I hear the Word of God. I ask you, have you allowed the pressures and demands and temptations of your life to put the fire out, to draw you away from the Word of Christ? Have you allowed desires and other loves in your life to make your love for Christ grow cold and cause you to leave your first love? Listen to what Jesus says to you. Remember, therefore, from which you have fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come against you suddenly and will remove your candlestick out of its place unless you repent. So if your heart burnt within you once, but it doesn't any longer, Retrace your steps. When did it quit burning? When did you begin to neglect the Word of God? When did you allow other things in your life to pull you away from your devotion to Jesus Christ? Retrace your steps. 
found, find out when you first started to go off track, when that fire began to dim, and then repent, praying that Christ will bring you back. Now, one last thing before I wrap up. I want you to notice, as I said earlier, that the empty tomb didn't convince anyone that Jesus had risen from the dead. In fact, even the report of the angel's declaration didn't convince anyone that Jesus was alive. They didn't believe it until Jesus spoke to them. It was only then that they believed. Do you believe that this crucified and risen Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost? Are you willing to admit that you are lost and separated from God without Christ? Are you confessing before others that Jesus Christ is your Lord? And are you believing that God raised Him from the dead for your own salvation? Are you certain? Be honest with yourself now. Are you certain that Jesus rose from the grave? Does the History Channel and the Discovery Channel disturb you when it comes and supposedly presents you with all of these facts that seem to negate the resurrection of Christ? Do you have any doubts about the physical resurrection of Jesus? Do you have any problems believing that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and arose on the third day? Well, how can you rid yourself of those doubts if you have them? And then be certain about Christ in his resurrection. Here's the answer. Consider carefully the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Read the 24th chapter of Luke again. Pray as a friend of mine prayed one time. Show me, Lord, that Jesus is the resurrected God, Son of God. Show me in his word. And to notice that the empty tomb did not convince anyone that Jesus arose from the dead. Even though Jesus invited the disciples when he appeared in their midst to touch his resurrected body. The Bible does not tell us that anyone did. Do you see that? And when Jesus particularly asked Dallin Thomas to touch him, we aren't told that Thomas believed him. But then Jesus said, see my feet and my hands and their marks. And the next thing you read about Thomas is that he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, My Lord and my God. So what convinced him? His word. He said, It is I myself. Once Jesus spoke to them, they asked for no more proof. All they needed was his word. They knew they could trust him, so they believed him and asked for no further confirmation of his resurrection by historical evidence, by scientific proof, or even human logic. Because since God opened their eyes to believe in Jesus Christ, they believed in Jesus, and on his sure word and nothing else, they rested their faith. And when they believed, they were never, never the same again. These apostles that were always confused, always embarrassing Jesus, always getting it wrong. Not a very impressive lot before his resurrection. None of whom could be found even at his crucifixion. When the resurrected Christ said to them, it's me, their lives changed forever. Their doubts were now dissolved. Their intellectual problems were solved. They were confused and frightened. Hearts were at peace. And they were certain 
that the Lord Jesus Christ really did arise from the dead. So as he was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so might too we be spiritually resurrected from the dead and walk in newness of life. And then at the end of time be raised physically from the dead to spend an eternity in the presence of our almighty triune God. And why can we be sure of this? Because God's word assures us and we need no other evidence. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 Eight six six five six zero seven. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.